turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to be this morning. As we kind of uh, finally launch, we launch in after an introduction next, last week to the parables. Hey, um, some bit of family news. Uh, Jeff Fluvog got, a, got engaged yesterday. <laughs> You thought it was a big deal that Tim Tebow got engaged. No, no. This is a much bigger deal. Hey, and we want to praise Jesus for two things. One, she's a beautiful redhead. That's, so the red, the wet, red will continue. Second, she loves Jesus. And uh, we're excited for our brother. Um, Jeff's been leading us from worship, in worship from the front row for a number of years now. And we're, we're, man, we're delighted to have him. He is a great gift to our church. And Jeff's about to be an elder, a deacon here soon. So we're excited to have him here. All righty. Well, um, Ed did a great job kind of leading us into this, this text this morning because um, the great challenge of this text and the great call of this text, I would say, is to be a person who prays who calls out to the Lord to do something in your heart. And um, last week we ended with this question, are you listening? That was essentially summarized. Are you listening with Jesus' teaching? And so um, I think the heart place we need to be in as we go to parables, which many of you are overly familiar with, is we need to ask God to give us hearts that hear. Not just our auditory system that can hear, but hearts that hear. And so I'm gonna ask you to stand one more time, um, and we're gonna read this together. This is a prayer as we enter into the reading of God's words. Make this your prayer before the Lord. Say it with me. Living God, help us to hear your holy word with open hearts so that we may truly understand an understanding that we may believe and believing that we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience seeking your honor and glory in all that we do through Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, um, I like to tell my kids stories. I'm not a very good storyteller. Um, it's, I'm not very creative with them, but one of the, the main thing I do is what I think what most moms and dads do when they tell a story, especially when they're, they're making one up. I'll tell a story, and somewhere along the, the, the story, I'll introduce a character that has the name Lila. Or a, or a dog that has the, the name Drew. Or a bunny rabbit that has the name Chapel. Why am I doing that? And what happens when I do that? Well, their ears perk up, and suddenly my kids are going, wait a second, this isn't just any story. I'm in this story. I'm in this story. When we read the parables, we're supposed to hear that. You might just find that you're found in the story. Last week we went with the question, are you listening? Are you listening? The parables come to us, and Jesus, in particular, the parables are come to us as a prophetic challenge. They're meant to goad and to agitate, to call and to challenge us. And so the question we ended with is, are you listening? Are you willing to listen, to seek, to understand? And so this week, we're going to look at the parable of this, of this what's called the parable of the sower. It should be called the, spare, the parable of the, of the soils. 
the parable of the soils. We're personalizing it. We're taking that question we ended with last week of, are you listening? And we're saying, do you see yourself in this parable? Do you listen like this? Like how these soils listen to the word of God. Hear God's word, Matthew chapter 13, 1 through 9, and then I'm going to drop down to Jesus' explanation of the parable. It's only one of two explanations we get of all the parables in the New Testament. So we'll drop down to verse 18 after the first nine verses. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them, did you hear that? Now that's important. The teacher would sit, and the crowd would stand. Just want to note that. (laughs) And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and he sowed, and some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then drop down to verse 18, and we'll read through verse 23 as Jesus explains. The the disciples come to him and they say, why do you speak in parables? That's what we dealt with last week. And then Jesus explains the parable just for them. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and another thirty. This ends the reading of God's holy errant and infallible words. May the grass wither and the flower fade, but may the word of our God, may it stand forever. Well, listening, we need to listen to Jesus' parables. Listening, of course, is a very, very, very important skill. You can get yourself in deep trouble if you don't listen. I heard a story about one um, young pastor who was a part of a, a fairly large church, but one day he was um, he's young in his marriage, and um, he was outside with their new home doing some yard work on one day, and his, his wife was out doing some shopping at a store that he, he said he never really heard of. It was called West Elm. And if, 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 uh, if any, any of the ladies here know what West Elm is, you know where the story is going. It's not exactly a cheap place. Well, West Elm, and so he, his wife calls him from shopping at West Elm, and he's, he's continued to do yard work, and he's kind of got the phone, like, kind of just hanging on his ear, and he's not listening very well. And she says to him, I, I want to, 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 uh, to purchase this credenza, and it costs $1,400. Is that okay? And he said, uh, he said, first, I had no idea what a credenza was. And then second, I, I, I thought it was actually a cookbook, but second, I, I didn't hear her correctly, and I thought she said it was going to cost somewhere between 40 and and 
And so I said, sure. Now, frankly, I was surprised by how grateful she was. He was shocked by like, the, the, how, she mentioned, was like, oh, my, so surprised. Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're letting me buy this. This is amazing that I get to buy this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For the life of me, I couldn't imagine why she was so excited to purchase a cookbook. Until a couple of days later when the credenza came in. And I, it sat there and I thought, oh my goodness, we got this for 40 to to $100. And that's when she broke the news to me that it was 1400 Dollars. At that, his jaw hit the floor and he was quite distraught. <laughs> listening, listening is very important. But the question in the context of this parable is this Why is it, why is it that those who you would think would not listen to Jesus listen to him and understand him? And why is it that those that you would think would be the ones to listen to Jesus? don't seem to understand him or care about what he's teaching at all? Why is it that the Pharisees and the religious reject his words, but the, but the prostitutes and the tax collectors receive his words? The, understand, the answer is found in the hearing ability of the heart, is what the point of this parable is. The answer is found in the hearing ability of the heart. You say, huh? Hearts do many things, but they don't hear. The point is this, is that you, you hear with your heart. You hear a spiritual teaching with your heart. And so what Jesus provides for us in this text and in this story is a parable or four soils, which represent four kinds of hearing that revolve or come out of four kinds of hearts. And there are different hearts that are hearing the word of God preached and proclaimed. And so those are the four hearts we're going to look at this morning by looking at the four soils. We're going to succinctly move through the parable, soil one, soil two, soil three, soil four. Here we go, soil one, soil one. Here we, soil one represents a hard heart, a hard heart. The first soil is described as the path. It represents a heart that does not understand. It's a heart that won't receive the teaching of God's word. It says this in verse 4 in the parable itself. And he sowed, this is the sower, he sowed some seeds and fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And then Jesus' explanation in verse 19. When any, what this means is when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. This is a heart that is hardened, that can't or won't say, I hear and understand the word of God. Now, the description of this as being a seed that falls along the path is an interesting one, and it's where the sting, the immediate twist of the parable comes in, the challenge of Jesus you see, in a day and age where they didn't have roads, very many roads at least, where people, would, people would, would walk in order to get from place to place and house to house, they would, just like when you were a kid, when you would walk through the woods, when you play in the woods over and over and over again, you would create a path. And when you go out to national parks and you go on these trails, they are essentially paths. And what are paths? They are the places where people have walked over and over and over again. And because of that, rocks have been moved out of the way. The ground has become more soft and then more hard over time as its people continue to tread on it. The branches and everything moves out of the way. This is what a path is, and this is what Jesus is referring to here. 
The sower is walking along the path. You can think of it also as like cornrows. Like if you were to plant a garden, the place where you walk is the gardener. And it's not the place where you necessarily wanted to throw the seed. But what you have to envision here is that in those days, they wouldn't just be scattering with some sort of machine. They would have a huge bag that would be strapped to their body, and they would be reaching behind them and then throwing the seed out. And if you're like any of us, I have this problem simply trying to get ice out of my ice dispenser into my glass that I inevitably lose many pieces of ice. Well, this is what you do when you scatter seed. From the bag to the floor, there's many places where much seed falls out of. And much seed comes out of the hand of the sower right in this area. Now, this is where the surprise and the sting comes. It means this, that it's perhaps the places where the word of God is most frequently sown, where the sower most often walks, that it is there that you may find the hardest of hearts. Jesus comes right out of the gate swinging. You see, Jesus has got four audiences. He's got the Pharisees. We see them in Matthew chapter 12 who are saying that all these things that Jesus is doing is he's doing it by the power of the devil. Then there's the, great, the crowds who want to see uh, Jesus do great and wondrous things. Then there's Judas. Then there's the 11 disciples. Jesus here is challenging and chastising and coming after the Pharisees right out of the gate. It could it be that the places that the word is most often sown are those in most danger of having hard hearts. Sinclair Ferguson, who is a, a great modern-day theologian and pastor, says that, asked it this way. He says, what if Jesus is saying this, that the people who have the hardest time hearing this are the people who have heard the truth the most? This is a frightening twist for church people. The Puritans used to say that the same sun that melts butter bakes mud into bricks. And the same word of God that melts the heart of sinners makes hard the heart of Pharisees. Now, if I could talk to two people this morning and applying this very, very specifically, there are two groups of people for whom I fear that this may speak about, or at least that I would say, may you be warned and challenged by this. First are those who are who find that you are engaged by the word of God primarily intellectually. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, there are those who have experienced much of the things of, God, things of God because they have been given the mental and intellectual inclination to think of the deep things of God and of his words. But a seed can only germinate and blossom when it gets underneath and inside. It means it is possible to be in regular contact with the word of God and have never made it a personal interaction. If the word of God is merely your personal study plaything for you to get, get intellectual chops, then that is a dangerous way to come to God's words. Christianity, for those who merely look at the Bible and theology as an intellectual exercise, they only look at Christianity from a theoretical standpoint, that they, they are detached from it, that they view it as a scientific experiment, so to speak. They are in grave danger. In fact, there was a, an article at the beginning of my seminary by a guy, a, 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 one of the seminary professors named John Frame, who studied theology his whole life, but he has a little booklet. It's called How to Re Remain a Christian While in Seminary. Because over the years, what they've seen time and time and time and time again as people come and the word of God becomes simply uh, like a biological lab rat that they're going to study. 
And it is meant to be living and active for you to sit under it and for the Spirit of God to do something. And so let me ask you this. If you're somebody, and it's a great gift to be someone who's intellectually engaged, who can think deep things, who can walk through the scriptures and understand so much of what is being communicated there. But let me ask you this. Have you fallen under the personal power of Jesus' words? Have they affected you? Have you experienced them? Has there ever come in your life where the words of Jesus, like a light coming on, have dawned upon your soul? Where you don't just know things about God in his word, but you know the God of the words. That this truth is not just theoretical, but is personal. That has grabbed you by the throat, and it's elicited a reaction from you. That's one person I would like to warn I'm not saying you have a hard heart if you're intellectual. By no means. By no means. But I'm saying that there is great danger there. Second, I want to speak to imply this and warn from this, this hard warning from Jesus. Those of you who are currently growing up in the church. And so here I speak specifically to those who are kids and the teenagers in this room. Who, who like, from, you never remember a day when your parents didn't have you in church where you've read all the Jesus Storybook Bibles and you've been catechized and you come to, to youth group and you come to Sunday school and you, can, you dream about the Bible stories and you can raise your hand at any given time. If I could speak to you, let me ask you this. Have you actually experienced the power and beauty of the word of God? Have you actually, has it gotten under your skin? Have you ever found the word of God upsets you or makes you joyous? Is for you, there's great danger for church, for you, for your parents to force you to come do this week in and to week out, and they ought to. They ought to do that. But if you harden your heart week in and week out to my preaching or to Avery's preaching or to a Sunday school teacher's teaching of you from the word of God, there is great danger. If the church has become a chore for you, if sermons are a bore for you, and if the gospel is something you simply learn to ignore, then you are in great danger. That is a dangerous place to be. You need to come to a place of saying, my goodness, I need to respond to this today, not tomorrow. There's serious warning. You hear the warning here. What does it say? What is it that there is an active person go having a play and a say in this, in this particular ground, in this particular heart? It is the devil himself. It says that when you refuse to listen to what is being given to you, it's like a seed that's kind of remaining on top of the ground, and the birds of the air can come and pluck it up. Now, back then, birds, kind of like a Hitchcock movie, were seen as evil. They were representative of the devil and of Satan, and Jesus communicates that in his own explanation of the parable. And so what I want you to see here is that he comes in, and he, what he wants you to do, for those of you that are young in this church, and you hear the word of God, and maybe you experience some sort of sense of being moved during a sermon, and yet, what he most wants for you to do the second you walk out of this room is not to go ponder and meditate and have a conversation with your parents about what you learned. But what he most wants you to do is to pick up your phone and think about what you're going to do this afternoon to care more about what's going on in social media, and it's there that the devil swipes in and he takes that little, that glimmer, the word of God, that is there to be a seed that bear, gives fruit in life, in your life, and you're thinking, whatever, I'm just gonna do my afternoon the way I want to. Have you actually ever pondered and meditated upon the word of God? Satan himself desires to swoop you up in the moment that you're considering the truth. It's in those moments at camp or in Sunday school that you're most at danger because it is in those moments that the devil wants to come in and take those thoughts, those thoughts of conviction. 
So in the moment of conviction, he brings to mind the party that's going to happen later on this week. Or he brings to mind the homework that must be done. Or he brings to mind the annoyance of your parents. Or he brings to mind the allure of your scrolling news feeds. This is, it, he doesn't come by putting something terribly and directly sinful. He just simply distracts you by the things of the world's. And snatches up the seed from your heart. The enemy, enemy wants to blind your mind to the truth of the gospel. The enemy violently opposes the preaching and the hearing of the gospel. I walked in here this morning and Betsy Shaver was, there was nobody else in here and the lights were off. And Betsy Shaver was praying over the sanctuary. Praise be to God for that. Because right now in this place, it seems silly because you sit in here week in and week out. But you don't think of it this, that there is spiritual warfare that happens whenever the word of God is proclaimed. And we need those who would pray, pray for God and his spirit to break through in the midst of this warfare. And 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says this, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. That's what Satan is trying to do right now. And he'll try to do it this afternoon. And he'll try to do it in your community group later on this week. He blinds people to the urgency of the gospel, saying, I can embrace this later. He blinds people to the relevance of the gospel, thinking, this doesn't really have anything to do with me. He blinds people to the beauty of the gospel with a, simply a list of to-dos and don'ts where they don't hear the good news of Jesus Christ, but all they walk out of here thinking, I gotta do this. If that's all you hear, then you're not hearing the gospel. A hard heart is a heart that is in captivity like a bird in a cage, and we are a people who are held in a prison when we have hard hearts. We have lost our freedom and our souls are imprisoned and in captive. And here's what Oscar Wilde said about being imprisoned. He said, the most terrible thing about a prison life is not that it breaks one's heart, but that it turns one's heart to stone, to stone. Here's what we're going to do after each of these points. I'm going to ask you to stop and pray. Again, this is, this, you can't change a hard heart. Right, you can't like just like, just strain really hard, and I will change my hard heart. We're going to give you a chance to respond after each of these soils and these hearts. So if you, if you fear you have a hard heart, would you pray this silently in your own head? Father, God, I do, do I have a hard heart? This question scares me. Father, search me and know me. Melt my heart of stone. Father God, do I have a hard heart? This question scares me. Father, search me and know me and melt my heart of stone. Soil one. Why do some people not hear the plain teaching of the good news? Because they have hard hearts. Soil number two. Soil number two is representative of a, of a shallow heart. A shallow heart. The shallow person is a shallow soil, refers to the soil in which on the upper, upper layer of the soil it's soft, but immediately underneath it, it gets hard. It's hard, so the, the root cannot only go maybe an inch or so deep. The shallow soil is a person who has an emotional response to the gospel, and this person shows all the outward signs of a deep response to the gospel, but time shows that the gospel hasn't actually taken root See, this person in their, their Christian life, or what appears to be it's a counterfeit Christian life, is like the kind of person that starts a fire with newspaper without kindling, right? It lights up quickly. It creates a burst of fire and then dissipates. And what we find is this person, because time isn't taken for the root to develop, actually springs up quickly 
And, and so they look like somebody who has lots of energy for the Lord. They love to come to worship. They love the, the things of God. This person may go off to camp or a conference and they get all jacked up spiritually and they cry out in the last night and they walk an aisle, but this is where it ends. And this is the person who accepts Christ and has a lot of excitement about their Christianity, about their newfound faith. But this parable tells us that this person will even show growth. They'll show joy, outward signs of a deep relationship with Jesus. They'll attend conferences. They'll cry at moving illustrations or in sermons. They'll love the worship services. They'll cherish good friendships. But they'll never, they'll never and can never move beyond an infantile state of faith and rootedness. The issue for this person is that Jesus and the gospel meets their felt needs at a surface level. But Jesus has helped me with faith. Jesus helped me get past my past. Jesus helps me parent my kids better and feel better about how, what a failure I am about parenting my kids. Jesus helps me clean up my life or clean up my marriage a little bit. But the word of God moves me emotionally. There's such sweet words there. But it doesn't penetrate and develop a root system. What does Jesus actually, actually, eventually, what, what, what comes into life of this person that shows the true colors, the true depth of their faith? Eventually, a time of crisis will come, and because there is no depth of the relationship with God, they'll fall away. It says they'll wither away. In the end, there will be a time will come for a Christian when they're heeding the word of God, no longer will meet their felt needs. It won't meet your felt needs. In which obedience will feel hard and difficult. In which life change comes slowly, if at all. And where perhaps life gets really difficult. Perhaps their, their spiritual life becomes dry and mundane. And they run into habitual pervasive sins that their superficial spirituality can't address. Their marriage perhaps starts to go through a rough patch. Or singleness begins to drain their joy. It could be that their church that was once vibrant and alive is, is in a season of pruning and difficulty. And they fall away. And at first, or at first what they think is this, I just have to get back to that place where I once was, that mountaintop experience. And so they join and do that same Bible study they did four years ago, or they go to that same conference, or they go to that same camp experience in the hopes of re-eliciting that experience again. But like a drug, like a drug, it has ever-decreasing effects because what they want more than Jesus is they want the emotional experience of hearing about Jesus. The conferences and the Christian books no longer give them the pep in their step that they once did. No longer does the worship service or the Sunday morning engagement engage them like it once did. They eventually just wither away. They stop trying. They grow hard and they grow cold. Is this you? Is this you? The people I would most want to apply this to and be most concerned for are those of you that are young believers. Those of you who have not actually had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death spiritually. That you're still in the honeymoon phase and I want to go, that's great, man, take delight in that. But my goodness, find some deep community, get in the word of God, think deeply about the things of God. The first person thinks only intellectually and needs to think, I have an engagement with the Lord emotionally. This person has an emotional experience and probably needs some greater intellectual depth as well. Needs to grow in their love for the Lord in preparation for the desert. So do you fear this is you? That's soil too. Let's pray about this soil. Here's the prayer that I'd like you to pray if you fear that this is you. Ask yourself this question, Father, do I have a shallow heart? 
May I long to know you, not simply know the emotional experience of you. Spirit, drive me to deep study of the word. Prepare me for seasons of suffering. And preserve my infantile faith when I am in the desert. You want Jesus? Or do you want the drug known as Jesus? Soil two, soil three. It's a thorny soil, and it represents a divided heart, a divided heart. This is a person where the beauty and the truth of the word of God settles deep into their hearts. It settles deep. They love the word of God. This is someone who can affirm the facts and the central tenets of Christianity. He can tell you about Jesus, who can speak as one who's experienced a, a knowledge of Jesus by his spirit, who have, who have the obvious moral values and ethics of Jesus. This person has both the emotional experiences in light of the gospel and can give intellectual assent about who Jesus is, profess faith. But ultimately, ultimately, Jesus Christ is not treasured Holy and fully. See, the fruitfulness that we're going to see in the final, the final soil does not come because even though the word of God has struck them at a deep level, they will not give themselves wholly over to God's words to reign their life. God's word is one of many masters. It says that there are, there are things, it says there's weeds and there's thorns in this heart that are staking claims on their life. These things may not even be evil. They may be many good things that have, have too much desire in your life. This is a person who wants to serve God and, to serve God and money, to serve God and success, to serve God and career, to serve God and to serve God and. The affections of the heart are scattered far and wide. The soul is wasting away because the nutrients are spread out on weeds. And so what is being described here is that, that the level of what we call the deep desires. It gets in deep. This is a desire level. This is not an emotional or a volitional or an intellectual. The war here is at the deep desire level. What do you most long for? What is the ruling affection of your life? What are the controlling desires of your life? And in this person, in this soil, they are a divided person. They are torn in multiple directions. There are different masters coming in and saying, I want to be the ruling affection of your life. This person has, is a deeply conflicted, deeply distracted, diverted, and cluttered heart. A cluttered hearts. See, we live in a world where we're bombarded with promises that accumulation of things will make us happy, right? And our hearts, our hearts cling to those messages. There's a magazine called The Good Life, and if you ever, if you ever look through the magazine of The Good Life, it, is, it shows, it's a great example of, of how divided we can become, all of these different gods in our life. If you read The Good Life, you look at simply the, 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 the advertisements there, there are two primary advertisements in that magazine. Weight loss and dining. <laughs> in other words, what the world will give you is this, is, a, is a, a divided heart in which it says, eat too much, then get on a bike and go nowhere. <laughs> Spend too much money, and then oh, it has lots of financial investment stuff for those of you who are in debt. Eat too much at five-star restaurants and then try to get out of debt. This is the very illustration of a divided heart, a heart trying to go in two different directions at the same time. And a divided heart, understand this, a divided heart will make you miserable. Will make you miserable. 
In fact, the first two, the first two soils, man, they're, like, they're, 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 they're not good, but they're not miserable. This person appears to be closest to the kingdom, but they're the most miserable because they're so divided. Because of some of you have a deep response to the gospel on Sunday, but you don't experience any kind of joy through the rest of the week. You don't experience the healing and freedom that you are. You don't bear the fruit that you are. You are beset with sins without victory. You know too, but you know too much of the gospel to go back, right? I, I can't go back to a world where I deny the gospel. Instead, you're stuck in limbo because you're miserable because you're, you long for change in your life, and yet you're, the change is found here at the deepest desire level. I want multiple things. I want the gospel, and I want this stuff. It is possible to come and be committed to one, one level to Christ and to see that I am a sinner in need of a Savior, but not have gotten to the point where I realize that I will never be happy until the word of God in Christ himself is the ruling affection and ruling order in my life. This is called the lordship of Jesus. This is not just a matter of this making you unhappy, though. It's far more dangerous than that, right? Like the others... You don't just feel torn, but the consequences of this are a life that can be choked out from the competition of the weeds and clutter in your soul. Clutter, clutter, we say clutter. Clutter sounds such a small, like such a small problem. Clutter is like the things that, that dads feel when they walk in the house at 5.30. It's, oh, it's just clutter. It's what you feel when you get in your office on a Tuesday morning. You look at your desk and you go, there's just clutter. Right? It's an annoyance. It's just, I just got to deal with this really quickly. But understand this, clutter will kill you. You know, what's the biggest fad right now on Netflix? There's a book that came out a couple of years ago. It's called The KonMari Method of Cleaning. It's not actually about cleaning. It's about throwing away things. It's about getting rid of clutter. And there's the same woman who actually wrote that book has a Netflix show, a kind of a documentary type show, where, where she is going to various people's homes and helping them clean their home by decluttering. And what you find with these people's lives, and it's not just their home that gets put back in place, but much of the rest of their life gets put back in place. Because when you have a cluttered, torn life, it ruins other, it has a ripple effect. Understand this, if you try to cling to Jesus and it will destroy you, it will choke the life out of your spiritual life. You know, in, in, in Polynesia, there's, um, there's a way in which the hunters have found how they'll, they catch monkeys. They use jars or long neck jars in which inside the jar, they'll, they'll put uh, an item, a piece of food that the monkey will desperately want. And the nature of the jar is such that it, if they reach their hand in the jar and they try to pull it out with a clenched fist, they can't get their hand back out. But if they were to release the banana or the food or whatever, they could, sl- they could slide their hand back out. Now, how is this a hunting technique? It's a hunting technique because the monkeys are so stupid that they will cling to this banana and will never move their hand out of this jar and out of the trap such that the hunter can simply walk up to them and go, bam! And that's some of you as Christians. You have your hand clinging to the jar, into the jar of the things of this world, and it's going to cost you your spiritual life. This is a group that needs some weeding out. George MacDonald, who's an old English writer, put it so well. He put it this way. He said, there is no plan to have a little bit of heaven along with a little bit of hell. Out Satan must go, every hair and feather. I love that he refers to Satan as a chicken. 
Some of you need to do some serious evaluation of how you spend the precious resources of your life, your energy, your time, your mental energy, your money, your passions. Your energies may not necessarily be going to evil things. They're going to extra hours of work. They're going to more children's activities. They're going to to a few hours of seemingly harmless TV. But in all these things, what you're doing is you're draining your soul by taking time and energy and passion away from Jesus. You want to get convicted? Hear this John Piper quote. He says this, The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that doles our appetite for heaven, but it is the endless nippling at the table of the world. It is not the X-rated video, but it is the primetime drivel of triviality we drink in every single night. So you laugh about your Netflix addiction. It is no funny matter. It's no funny matter. You see, some of you need to take a look at your life and find out what is getting your attention. And then like David... And then like David prays in Psalm 86, verse 11, he says this, God, give me an undivided heart. Ask the Lord to make you a man or woman of single-minded devotion to him. Hey, why don't you do it right now? Here's the prayer for soil three. Father, Father God, do I have a divided heart? Search me and know me, God. Lord, reveal to me those things that compete for my affections and give me a desire, a heart that desires you above all things. Father God, do I have a divided heart? Search me and know me. Lord, reveal to me those things that compete for my affections and give me a heart that desires you above all things. Last soil, we get to the good news. The last soul represents a soft heart or a humble heart. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because we're going to look at it in large part in a couple weeks. We look at the parable of the mustard seed. But this seed goes down deep into the heart. This person listens. They understand. And the word of God breaks them. The word of God has its way in their life. The root system pushes the dirt down under the surface and the very, pushes it out of the way. It reroutes their life. It reshapes everything in their life. And what happens as a result? What does it say? They are fruitful. Joy, conviction, faith, hope, gentleness, self-control. They're abundantly fruitful. In fact, you know, the, the shockers here for these people who are from an agricultural society who are listening, you know, we think it's like, why would someone throw seed on a path? That doesn't stun them. What stuns them is the level of fruit this person have. 30, 60, 100 fold. At that time, they were, they were lucky to get 10 or 20 fold. That was a good crop. And so here's what he's saying, that there is a bigger return. This is a, this is a better return than modern mechanized farming in many ways. How can I, here's the question for those of us who, who in this room, that I would think that we would want, we want to have to be the fourth soil. I want to be the fourth soil. How do I become the fourth soil? Well, here's the bad news. You can't. You can't make yourself soft, and you can't make yourself fruitful. But here's the good news. I said it should be called the parable of the soils. That's only half true. It's called the parable of the sower because ultimately what needs to happen in order for there to be good fruit, God the sower must come and do what he does. The bad news is you can't do it. 
You can't change your heart. The good news is this. God can. God can, and he does. He has the heart to make the heart receptive. God is the one who makes us fruitful. God is the gardener. God is the one. In fact, you know what? It's a weird thing, an anomaly about Jewish, the way they would do farming back then. Everyone who heard this parable would have understood this, that we, we till the soil before we throw down the seed. Then they would throw out the seed and then till the soil. Here's the good news. It means if you're sitting in this room this morning, you're going, I might have a hard heart. That there is a tiller, there is a sower who comes and stirs up the ground. And how does God do that in hard hearts and in shallow hearts and in divided hearts? How does he do that? It is the promise of the new covenant. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27, this is the reason why Jesus came. He says, I've come to do this, Ezekiel 36, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The way in the way in which God gives us new hearts is by sending us his spirit to root out our old hearts and to give us a fresh and new one. And here's the great irony. As people who are hardened to the word of God, but when the spirit of God comes with his tilling work in our hearts, the great army is the main surgical tool he uses is the word of God. He gives us a new heart so that we who did not hear last Sunday could hear today by the power of the Spirit. And this is said over and over again in the New Testament. Acts 10, verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. James 1, 18. Of his own will, this is God's will, he brought us forth, how? By the word of truth, that we should be kind of first fruits of his creatures. 1 Peter 1, 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperable seed, through the living in abiding word of God. The spirit of God moves through the word. This is why parents, you hear me and you go, well, maybe I shouldn't make my kids come to church because their hearts are just being hardened. No, no, this is why you bring them to church. Because even though they have hard hearts, the means by which the spirit moves and works to till up that hard soul is the word of God itself. And what is the power found in the words? It is the word incarnate himself. How does the power of the Son of God get released? You see, you ever thought about this? You're like, how does a, how does a seed, how does the word of God get in me and, and, and die? That's what a seed has to do, right? In order for a seed to be effective and to bear fruit, it has to go into the ground and die. How does a word die? Well, when the, the word has to become flesh then, right? It can't remain on paper. It has to become flesh. And this is exactly what happens in the gospel. John 12, verses 24, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And what you see in John 1, 1 is what does Jesus call himself? I am the word. And the word was with God and the word was God and the word has come. Jesus says, I am the living word, the word that is the flesh. And the power of the word of God is that Jesus, the living word, came and walked the hardened path. He came and he bore up under a crown of thorns. And he was buried under what? A pile of rocks. So that he might do what? So that he might set us free from our hard, shallow, and divided hearts. And we become living trees and living fruit when the word of God is driven deep into our hearts by the power of his Holy Spirit. And that power of the Holy Spirit is purchased for us by the work of Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection.
that he walked the hardened road, that he was under the crown of thorns, and that he was up under the rock. Therefore, if you're here today, and you think I have a hard heart, or I have a shallow heart, or I have a divided heart, there is great hope for you. Not in yourself. Oh, goodness, no. (laughs) Who would have told you that? An enemy tells you that. No, no. The hope is found in the power of the Holy Spirit who may come like a gardener. He may come with a shovel or a spade, and someday it may feel like he comes with a bulldozer. But by his power and the power of the good news of Jesus Christ, your hard heart may be made soft. Let's pray. One last time this morning. Lord, what an annoying sermon. Just give us something to do. Lord, this is the one thing we can do. Is confess to you the state of our hearts and say, God, in your grace and your mercy and by the power of your Holy Spirit, you've got to do something. Would you do something, God? I pray that the people in this room, would, that they would be satisfied with that prayer. They would be satisfied that that is the application of today. That they would be a people who desire the things of God. And they would cry out to you for it, calling out for your spirit to do a living work in them. An uprooting work, a softening work. So Lord, I pray in this room for those who have hard hearts, that Lord, you would give them new hearts. For those that have shallow hearts, that you would take out those, those shallow hearts and give them new hearts. I pray for those that have divided hearts, that you'd root out the weeds in their life. And Lord, make all of us, those maybe who are deeply living for you, Lord, make us more fruitful by the power of your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.